Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, November 23rd, 2010. going to do something that's going to feel like a Friday light, but it's not. It's uh, time to start coming up with a biblical critique on the whole missional attractional thing. Uh, you know, anyway, hang on. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, in case you've been—well, haven't been tuning in, or you've been hiding under a rock, I, you know, maybe you've been in Hawaii, which, if you have been— and uh, you've been listening to this podcast in Hawaii and you've missed all this brouhaha. You know, it's always strange for me when I get emails from somebody saying, you know, Chris, uh, it was awful nice of you to go to Hawaii with us. Or we took a trip down to New Zealand and, you know, and uh, you went with us the whole way. <laughs> I love vicariously traveling with people. Unfortunately, I don't get the benefits of getting a suntan while doing that. Anyway, if you, there's been a big brouhaha brewing here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, the issue is what we're calling Kimblegate, and uh, I, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing for you, nor am I really going to focus on uh, uh, specifically on Dan Kimble per se. What I found is, uh, thanks to a listener at uh, Fighting for the Faith, they've pointed me to uh, the recent conference that concluded at Granger Community Church, not far from where I live, up there in uh, in well Granger, Indiana. And uh, Granger Community Church, you know, five years ago was, you know, one of the top fastest growing churches on the planet. And, uh, and well, they four years ago, they hit, hit a wall and they, well, stopped growing. And w- well, what do you do? Because they're one of the premier purpose-driven churches out there. And uh, they considered themselves to be uh, attractional. And, and they were also experimenting with missional. And uh, what you're going to find here is I'm I, I want to take your focus off of Dan Kimball per se, and I want to focus you in on the thoughts that Dan Kimball has regarding his methodologies. Because what you're going to find in this lecture that you're going to hear today is many of the same ideas that Dan Kimball holds and many of the things where where I have focused my uh 
critiques and uh, in my private conversations with Dan. And what I want to do is I want to kind of open your eyes by taking Dan Kimball out of the mix. And what I want you to do is I want you to hear the ideas from somebody else. And I'm going to point out to you um, the problem. Because the, the problem is not a desire to reach the lost. That's actually a very commendable thing. And uh, the, those who are involved in rethinking church and deconstructing how church is done, they think that they're doing this to you know make the church more attractive to people out there so that they'll come to church. Well, um, Tim Stevens, the author of the book Pop Goes the Church, and uh, the one of the executive pastors there on staff at Granger Community Church, he recently gave a, uh, a lecture, uh, a plenary speech at the uh, AND conference, A-N-D. That's what they called it, AND, the AND conference. And I want you to listen to what Tim Stevens says. And so the entire program today is dedicated to this conference speech. Now, you're going to hear part of it from Tim Stevens, the other part of it from a guy named Jason Miller. And uh, what you're going to, hopefully after all of this, you're going to sit there and go, okay, now I understand what the foundational primary problem is in these seeker-driven, purpose-driven, missional, uh, Druckerite methodologies. Okay. And so it's, you know, and so in a sense, you can think of this as uh, you know a critique of Dan Kimball's methodologies that he embraced here on Fi- I'm Fighting for the Faith, and it's and I'm offering it as that it's a biblical critique. But the way I'm doing it is by finding somebody who's generally in the same camp as Dan Kimball, who isn't flagrantly embracing uh, emergent, uh, deconstructed postmodern heresies. Uh, but is instead somehow somewhere in the general sphere of uh, the center of the evangelical milieu that's out there in the church today, and that's Tim Stevens. And uh, and this lecture, I think, will be eye-opening for you in helping you to identify the problem here. And as you're listening to Tim Stevens' lecture— what I want you to listen for and see if you can identify them are his the presuppositions that he holds that are that he's not allowing to be challenged. Okay, and I'll hopefully uh, along the way we'll uh, see if we can't uh, clean a little bit of this up biblically. So here is uh, well he's going. This is a gentleman who's going to introduce Tim Stevens. Uh, the name of the lecture is The Hazards of Either-Or Thinking, and it's by Tim Stevens and Jason Miller. Here we go. And by the way, this will take up the entire program today. It's not that this is Friday Light. It's not. It's just that I want this program to be singularly focused so that you can hear this on its own merit. Here we go. What was that? Was that applause? Was that applause? Come on! Welcome back. Let's thank the band. Yeah, there you go. We are moving into a session where we're exploring the hazards of uh, either-or thinking. So if you're coming into this thinking, I'm either going to love this or hate it, don't. But um, but Did you get it? Yeah. You're thinking you're going to love Tim and hate 
Jason, don't. I'm really uh, privileged to introduce uh, our next two speakers. Uh, both these gentlemen are friends of mine, and uh, it's a real privilege for me to serve alongside them. I'm going to introduce both of them as we get started, and uh, then they'll follow each other, and we'll begin uh, with Tim in just a moment. Tim believed uh, since an early age, since he was 12 years old, that he would be a pastor, a minister of some kind. And in his thinking, in his traditional church setting, he believed that meant he would be preaching. And uh, he was relieved, maybe along with others, that there was a way to engage ministry without preaching all the time. Uh, Tim joined Mark Beeson and our staff here over 16 years ago, and today he serves as our executive pastor. Okay, now a question for you. This title, executive pastor, did, I mean, you heard the introduction. Tim Stevens, thankfully, you know, if, you know, he's he's found a way to do ministry, to be a pastor without preaching. Okay, I'm going to point something out here. We've got a problem. Pastor is a shepherding term. May I make the assertion that in these types of churches where you have the pastor of this and pastor of that, and then those pastors of this and that don't have anything to do with the Word of God and uh, the sacraments, that the term pastor no longer has its original meaning or understanding. Tim Stevens is a church business guy. He's an executive, but a pastor? Many people misunderstand what that means and think that Tim is an operations guy handling details and graphs and charts, albeit he loves graphs and charts, but that's not all he does. That's not what he's about. Tim is about vision. Uh, Tim's one of those guys who uh, embodies this paradox of great detail orientation and tremendous scope in the future and vision for people. So he's a vision caster, but he's not a shepherd. He's, he's a, he, he likes charts and graphs, and he casts vision. But the term pastor, uh, I, don't, I don't understand how that gets attached to what he does. Tim's a prolific writer. If you've read his blogs, his books, you know that. Tim's uh, earned a voice over the last several years of leadership. And uh, from family to ministry, he's helped thousands and thousands of us to uh, understand principles and practices from his own life that make us better individually and as churches. He's still crazy flipped out about his wife, Faith, who's here with him this morning. They're raising together four wonderful children uh, who are following their wisdom and their grace. Tim, I don't know if there's anyone on the planet I laugh more with. Uh, I count you a great friend, and I'm looking forward to hearing you in just a moment. Jason Miller... um, I first heard, as he mentioned a few moments ago, as an intern on our stage leading worship. And uh, right away, I, along with several others from our leadership team, realized that when we listened to Jason lead, Jason led. That is, Jason didn't just sing, but there was leadership that oozed from who he was as he led worship. And that led to a conversation Tim and I had with Jason several years ago over uh, one or two or three or 18 Krispy Kremes. 
which seemed appropriate for this young college buck, to talk about him joining our staff as a full-time worship leader. Today, Jason serves as our pastor of arts and teaching. And uh, Jason is wise beyond his years. Jason came to me um, years and years ago as a college kid because our storylines cost paths and uh, we had some similar themes in our background. And I now go to Jason and I seek wisdom from him. And I'm honored to sit at his feet. You're gonna be um, challenged and encouraged as you listen to both of these men. We'll start with Tim. Would you please give Tim Stevens a warm welcome? Of course, he needs rock and roll music to uh, you know bring him onto the stage. Good morning. Okay, so let me ask. It's halfway through day two of this conference we call And. And let me ask if anyone here, just be honest, is sick yet of the word missional? Any hands? I didn't even attend the conference, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm there. All right, maybe some of you have seen this T-shirt flying around. Maybe you feel this way. I've uh, seen, seen a few of these around. It says, missional, the new buzzword for what we're supposed to be doing, All right? And sometimes you feel that way. You know, I've been in ministry for a number of years, and if you've been in ministry uh, for any time at all, you might be the same way, where you see these words come and go, and so then you start to get a little bit jaded about them when they come. Uh, but things like, uh, you know, a few years back, it's, you know, Next Generation or Gen X, and everything was all about that. And it was emergent, and it was emerging. And, you know, what do those two even mean? And postmodern or post-Christian, we did the whole purpose-driven thing, the meta model, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Seeker-sensitive, but then it's not really that. It's seeker-driven. There's this third-place thing. If you're as old as I am, uh, bus ministry. I mean, that was big in the 70s. And and each time these words emerge, it seems like they tell us why the way we're doing church isn't the right way, and how we're supposed to be doing something just a little bit different. We need to change everything. We need to go back to the drawing board and do something differently. And these days, it seems like it's all about missional. Every conference, every leader, every blog, every interview is talking about... Okay, now he's brought up a valid point. I'm going to point this out. Every time all of these new buzzwords come around and they get kicked around and you got the next books and the conference speakers going around talking about the practice of church, the implication is is that the way you're doing it, the way you're, you folks have been doing it, well, it's been wrong. And, uh, and what's happened is, is that the fundamental assumption in all of this is that we constantly need to be changing. Remember Dan Kimball talking about how the church will always be emerging? When you read the blogs of a lot of these leaders, what you find over and again is we've come now to the point where the only constant in the church is change. And that doesn't make any sense. Ask yourself this question. How did the church survive for 2,000 years before these guys came around? How did the church survive for 2,000 years before these guys came around? Answer, they worked from a completely different set of presuppositions. 
and they're deeply theological. Let me let me see if I can put some of this on the table for you. Okay, number one. Okay, the Bible basically makes it clear that non-believers, those who do not confess Jesus Christ as Lord, those who have not repented of their sins, those who do not trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but are hostile to the gospel, uh, revel in their pagan uh, their paganism, or just you know generally believe in God, but you know this whole Jesus thing. Who knows? They are, by nature, dead in trespasses and sins. You ever heard of the doctrine of regeneration? Yeah, you, look it up. Regeneration. It has to do with this idea of you being dead and then made alive. Okay? When you look at evangelism biblically, the problem with people is not that they don't like the, your church or they think your church is irrelevant. Although the reality is, is that if they're a pagan and they're an unbeliever, they are going to think your church is irrelevant. Why? Because they're dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus said that when he sends the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. The reason why unbelievers are not in your church is because they're unbelievers. Okay? So the biblical model for evangelism, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, assumes that you are preaching the gospel to people who are dead in trespasses and sins, and that through the preaching of the gospel, God regenerates them, raises them from the dead. And when they are raised from the dead, God replaces their heart of stone with a heart of flesh, and he gives them new appetites. What does Jesus say? Man does not live by on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, Christians gather together to feast on holy things. Christians gather together as the body of Christ to feast, to eat, to feed on God's Word, and the Lord's Supper. And that these appetites for these particular holy things, that appetite is not going to be found in, in, in pagans. Pagans do not have an appetite for God's Word, and they do not have an appetite for the Lord's Supper. To them, that is foolishness and a stumbling block. That's just silly stuff. Why? Because they haven't been regenerated. So when you understand this, when you understand this fundamental presupposition, this fundamental theological doctrine, then all of a sudden you begin to understand why the church has done the things that it's done 
for the last 2,000 years. Namely, when the church gathers, the church gathers to hear the word of the Lord. The church gathers to baptize. The church gathers to feast on the body and blood of Christ. And all of this, the, those are appetites that you're not going to find in, uh, it, regarding people out there in the world. They have to be regenerated by God before they would have an appetite for that. Before they're regenerated, they, they you know, maybe there's something to this Augustine's God-shaped whole thing. They, they might find their, their life to be spiritually dissatisfying, but they really don't know what they're looking for. And it takes the preaching of the gospel, calling sinners to repent of their sins and be forgiven in Jesus' name and by his shed blood on the cross for them and their sins. It's through that preaching that God regenerates people and gives them Christian appetites. So what happens here in this attractional missional model is this that there's this fundamental idea, you know, oh man, you know, the world is looking at what the church is doing and how they've been doing things and and uh and you know, they're just going to sit there and go that's completely irrelevant. Yet yeah, duh. Of course they're going to say that's irrelevant because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They are dead in sin and unbelief. They do not have a true appetite for God's Word and the Lord's Supper and the things of God. And so they're going to look at Christians gathering together to hear God's Word and to receive the Lord's Supper as basically stupid. And so the problem isn't the problem doesn't go away when you take the things that they're offended by and think are stupid and repeat place them with things that the world likes because Christians need to feed on God's word in the Lord's Supper. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what's happened here is that all of these methodologies, all of these practices hinge on a false premise. They hinge on on a theological error, and they don't properly understand really how Christians are made. Christians are literally regenerated and raised from the dead, or how shall I put it the way Jesus did, you know, born again through the working of God of God the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. So as a result of it, these because these guys fundamentally have a problem in their theology regarding what's wrong with the world, they think the problem is the church and the church's methods. It's not. The problem is not the church and the church's methods. The church gathers, and the, the methods that the church has been practicing for 2,000 years is all about feeding Christians with God's Word and the Lord's Supper, feasting on holy things. That's not the problem. The problem out there in the world is sin and unbelief. So you have to 
preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins and regenerate and you know basically let God the Holy Spirit do what God the Holy Spirit does through the preaching of his word and that's regenerate dead lost pagan sinners and create in them this insatiable appetite for the things of God and when that happens what are they hungry for God's word and the Lord's supper that's why when churches go from feeding God's sheep to a basically entertaining goats, what ends up happening most of the time is that the sheep leave because they're starving to death. And rather than stop and go, wait a second, maybe we've got this thing, we're assuming the wrong things, they're not. They're now continuing on in their direction, and what's the whole thing is basically built on a foundation of sand because it has a wrong set of presuppositions that are clearly contradicted by God's Word. We're going to pause right there, and we're going to pay some bills, and when we come back, we're going to listen to more of Tim Stevens from his AND conference lecture, and uh, you're going to see what I'm saying even with more clarity as you hear the confusion of Tim Stevens all hinging on his false presupposition. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, 
helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, 10 out of 10 pagans, when you ask them about the relevancy of church and Jesus, will tell you that it's irrelevant. Because they haven't been regenerated yet. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me throw in a little bit of biblical stuff here so that uh, you understand what it is that I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, flip on over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I will begin at verse 1. Here we go. And you, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus, the, the churches that met in Ephesus. Speaking of them prior to their regeneration, he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, and when she once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us, uh, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So speaking to the Ephesians and referring back to before they were were Christians, they were dead in trespasses and sins, and God is the one who made them alive in Christ. Okay, let me give you another example of this. You have your uh, Bibles flip on over to Acts chapter 2. Now, I've referred to this passage many times, but I'm going to refer to it again, and I'm not going to give all of Peter's sermon, okay? I'm going to begin it at verse 22 of Acts 2, and I want you to pay close attention to what's going on here, okay? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is preaching. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching of Christ crucified. And watch, the Holy Spirit is at work in the preaching of the word. Now, I can tell you with certainty, with the exception of the other Christians who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that day, there were zero Christians in the crowd. Zero. Watch what happens. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified by and killed by hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or will you let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, the one you crucified, God has raised up, and of all that, uh, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this 
that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, for David did not ascend into, into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now comes the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's been working all along, but listen. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What did Jesus say? When he sends the Spirit, the Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. Let me give you the passage on that so that you have it handy. I think that is in John 16. Yeah, here it is. Listen to this. John 16, I'm going to start at verse 1, and then I'll come back to Acts 2. So keep your finger at Acts 2. Jesus is speaking. He says, I said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, this is the Holy Spirit, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You want to know with certainty? Where the Holy Spirit is working, look to where people are being cut to the heart and their sin and unbelief are being uncovered by the Holy Spirit and being convicted by the Holy Spirit. You know that's where the Holy Spirit is working. So here in Acts chapter 2, flip flip on back now, Peter is preaching and God the Holy Spirit is acting in connection to the preaching of his word, and the Holy Spirit is active, not because you just saw the, uh, the, the, the apostles speaking in tongues. They did. But it was they were speaking in other languages, not babbling mindlessly. But they're preaching and teaching with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, empowering their the words being spoken because of the very words of God. It's the very word of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit is slaying these folks and convicting them of sin and unbelief. And verse 37 says, And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, it doesn't say everybody who heard was cut to the quick. Only 3,000 of the people who heard were. God called to himself, through the preaching of the gospel, those whom he's chosen, and he granted them repentance, cut them to the quick, cut them down, convicted them of their sin and unbelief, and they were given repentance and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. It all is a gift. And then those people come into, they are now part of the church. And I'm going to use a term here that we're going to have to recapture. Unfortunately, it's a term that could be misunderstood. But the term is Catholic, and I mean this with a small c. I'm not talking about Rome. I'm not talking about funny hats, and I'm not talking about the Pope. What I'm talking about is the universal church. This is another fundamental flaw that's going on uh, with the seeker-driven attractional missional guys. What's the fundamental flaw? It's all about growing their individual congregations, we're not in reality we're called to grow the church the catholic church maybe not your individual congregation you see what i'm saying here so anyway the point is is that god's the one who calls and once they are regenerated once they are granted repentance and the forgiveness of sins then then they begin doing the things that the church does. You begin to see the marks of the church in action, verse 42, and they, these new converts, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The marks of the church are devotion to the apostles' teaching. You can substitute that with the word of God. Fellowship together, this is the koinonia that only Christians share, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now, here you go. So you go to a bunch of pagans. When you go to that group of pagans, these are people who are not believers, are they going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? No. Are they going to be devoted to fellowship together. They might have a band of brothers. Maybe they might have bowling night. Who knows? But answer, not Christian koinonia, no. Are they going to be dedicated to the breaking of bread and prayers? Not on your life. Why? Because they're dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. They are spiritually not fogging a mirror. Okay? They are pushing up spiritual daisies. That's what dead means. And that means they do not have an appetite for the things of God at all. And they're going to look at your church, 
and they're going to look at the people who are devoted to the teachings of the apostles, devoted to Christian fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and devoted to prayers, and say, these people are nuts. That's crazy. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And you know what? You're going to have you you when that happens you say, "Yeah, right. You know why you don't have you don't have an appetite for any of this stuff? Cuz you're dead in trespasses and sins, you wretched sinner. Don't you know that you're going to stand before God someday and that God's wrath is soon to be revealed? How do you hope to escape from it?" But I've got good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ took your punishment on himself, and he today is offering you full and complete pardon for your sinfulness, your wretchedness, and your scoffing at the things of God. Repent and be forgiven. And if God grants that person repentance and the forgiveness of sins, you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to raise from the dead and start taking their first real breaths as a Christian. True breathing as a Christian, no longer dead. And because they're alive, made alive by Christ and born again, they are going to have a strong appetite for the apostles preaching. They're going to have a strong appetite for the fellowship, and they're going to have a huge appetite for the breaking of bread, talking about the Lord's Supper, and a huge appetite for the prayers. Why? Because they've been raised from the dead and their new nature that is alive in Christ needs and desires these things like a baby needs milk. You see what I'm saying? The missional attractional guys have it all backwards. You don't go ask unbelievers whether or not they think church is relevant because the answer is no, it's not. Why? Not because there's something wrong with the church, but because the pagan is dead in trespasses and sins and has no appetite for the things of God. Now, with this biblical foundation, let's continue with Tim Stevens' lecture. You'll see what's going wrong here. How missional is the bomb, and attractional is yesterday's news. And just to illustrate this, here's some uh, clips I found on YouTube. Effective churches are going to be moving from the attractional model of church that was done in the 80s and 90s to a missional model of church. Jesus' message was not accept me and go to heaven. Right? Jesus' message was the kingdom of God. His focus wasn't getting... Uh, boy, that sounds like emergent speak. ...individuals saved. Getting individuals into heaven, his focus was getting heaven into earth. A secret church tends to put more, I think, of its emphasis on programs. A missional church is trying to infuse a consciousness in everyone. There's really these two camps. There is the missional camp, 
which says that really the, what you're supposed to do is the church is supposed to be this place you gather really for believers, and then you go out and you share the message, share the gospel with people outside of church in your workplace and in your everyday. So you're missional, you're sent out from the church to be engaged missionally in people's lives. The other side of the argument is the attractional folks. And what the attractional folks would say is, you know, we, we have the gospel message as the church, and we should invite people to come to the church so that they can hear the gospel message, so that they can see authentic worship, so they can see community happening, and will come to faith in Jesus Christ. I think our emphasis is going to be more on the missional. My own conviction is that the days of attractional are fading fast. Uh, not that there won't always be some kind of place, and obviously there needs to be some kind of attraction. But as the heartbeat of a place to simply uh, uh, hang out a shingle and make it a place where people come, no, the nature of how we understand church, how we understand church that will be effective in the environment that we're in is, is changing rapidly, and it, it means much more nitty-gritty community involved. Missional churches uh, tend to be inhabited by artists and secret services by MBAs. Okay, so do you ever hear leaders talk about missional this or missional that, and you just want to say missional, schmissional? In a crowd this size, my guess is maybe someone said that last night in the hotel room. You hear a missional guru make some overstated points about how most churches these days are consumer-focused and consumer-centric and inward, and they don't care about whether people around them are going to hell or not. And then they say, oh, by the way, that's called attractional, and that is synonymous with bad. And it makes you want to say missional, schmissional. These exaggerated, overstated arguments want you to throw out the, makes you want to throw out the entire conversation. Let me give you some personal uh, examples on this. I have a very good friend who I've known for decades uh, who read a, re- a popular missional book a couple years ago, uh, and he learned about the evils of the institutional church and how buildings are unbiblical and the office of pastors are unbiblical and salaries are unbiblical and worship leaders are unbiblical. And so my friend left his church, and he just stopped going, and he didn't do house church, and he didn't do missional this or that. He just was done with church. And I hear that story, and it broke my heart, and I wanted to say missional, schmissional. I have a friend at a church that was growing by leaps and bounds in the 90s, and they did all these conferences, and they told people how to grow like they were, and they got up to about 3,500 people or so, and then they stopped growing. And then they stopped doing conferences, and they were silent for a while, and pretty soon they started writing and telling and talking about how church growth is bad and mega church is bad and big churches are bad and, and how the, the results that they were, that by which they measured success, they were no longer getting. So it's almost like they just kind of moved the target and they said, okay, that's not, that wasn't the results that we wanted. So with the target's over here and, and it's missional now and it's really hard to track, but just trust us, we're successful at it. And I hear stories like that and it makes me sometimes want to say missional schmissional. I attended a conference oh, probably 10 years ago now where all of these words were intertwined, emergent and emerging and missional, and they were thrown together. And when I went, I was sitting in the sessions, and there was people dancing in the aisle over here and raking some sand over here and drawing something I couldn't recognize over here. And someone else would just get up and just start talking, and that was okay. And the whole thing weirded me out. And I thought, if this is missional, then missional, missional. You know, so you hear the overgeneralizations about attraction, and I think... I've never Yeah, but what I'm not hearing, Tim, 
is real deep theological wrestling with the text that has to deal with how people are dead in trespasses and sins, and that God is the one who raises them from the dead through the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Instead, I'm hearing on both sides of this, somehow trying to somehow, you know, engage the culture in a way that's relevant to them, whether they're artists, they're, they, they're beekeepers, or they like butterflies. I mean, seriously. I mean, when was the last time you saw a church dedicated to beekeepers? seen that church. I've never seen uh, or, or met one pastor who doesn't care deeply about the people in his or her community. It seems like every attractional church pastor sometimes is painted as selfish and consumer focused and interested only in money and big buildings and they care more about numbers than they do about people. And I've not met that pastor. I don't know of a church that... And see, this is a straw man. No. The problem is not that they care about money more than they care about people. The problem is is that they have a faulty and unbiblical understanding of how people become Christians. Doesn't want uh, a pastor that doesn't want their people to live missional lives in the in their world. I don't know of a church that's just about the weekend service, the weekend experience, and does nothing else to serve people. So when I hear uh, the attractional church painted that way. By missional people, it makes me want to say missional, missional. First time I remember the words uh, missional and attractional together uh, was in 2005. Tony Morgan and I wrote a book called Simply Strategic Growth, and uh, Leonard Sweet was nice enough to offer an endorsement for the back cover. And this is what he wrote. He said, don't let the attractional language fool you. This book really is about missional Christianity and meeting the culture where it's at, not where you wish it were. Well, when Tony and I first read that, we were like, Huh? And then we were like, oh, great, you know, Leonard Sweet has an endorsement, it's on the back of the book, that's pretty awesome. But we really didn't have a good sense of what that even meant at the time. I think right then, the attractional label was beginning to emerge uh, as, as a descriptive term for this come and see model of ministry. But let me be honest for a minute and say that I've been doing this come and see model of ministry uh, for 25 years now, and sometimes I get tired of it. And sometimes I just want to say attractional, schmactional. Okay, now listen carefully. This is quite a confession that you're about to hear. <laughs> sometimes I get tired of the performing uh, of the show, of seeing people come for a while and they get all fired up and they get involved and a couple of years later, they're just gone. They've just faded away. No longer works for them. Uh, sometimes I get tired where every week has to be better than the week before. Now I want to point something out here. One of What did the Reveal Now study reveal? The folks who were leaving were the spiritually mature, who were starving to death. What was the solution? Oh, you just need to stop being selfish and become self-feeders. Where the amazing series that we did last month or last year uh, has gone all too quickly, and it seems like the only thing that was good about it was that we raised the bar, and now we have to do better next week and next month for the next series. And sometimes you just want to say attractional, schmactional. It's like the actor who is only as good as his most recent movie, and it doesn't matter if he or she made a blockbuster that made hundreds of million dollars a few years ago. If they haven't been in anything lately, they're deemed a failure. And if our messages aren't ever better, if our artistry and our videos and our dramas and our graphic designs and our series creativity, our building design, our coffee flavors, if it's not all better than last week, then we're stagnant. We're yesterday's news. We're old. 
And by the way, what have I been saying really from the outset of this program almost three years ago? Relevance is a fickle, fickle, fickle mistress. She'll make you feel like you're high and mighty one day and then basically dump you in the newspaper, uh, in the trash bin like you're yesterday's news the next. Yeah, see, tra- you know, relevance, She she's only got, well, the attention span of a three-year-old. Yeah, that's true. And uh, she's easily distracted by the newest, greatest, and most amazing thing. And one of the things I've noticed about all of these seeker-driven, attractional leaders who were all the rock stars five, seven years ago, that, well, they're looking old. Uh, Tim Stevens is as bald as a you know a billiard cue. Yeah, I, I I understand I'm I'm overweight, but uh, the, the point is is that all of a sudden the guys who are the rock stars, well, they're you know they look about as relevant as um, um, a Grateful Dead. Well, you know the Grateful Dead, are, you know they had some longevity to them, but you understand what I'm saying. You know, if you ever, I mean, seriously, when, if you ever look at some of these bands when they reunite, you know, uh, it's been 20 years since the band's been together and uh, we've reunited the band and, and you, they get on stage and, you know, one guy's got, you know, the oxygen tank hooked up to his nostrils and, you know, the other guy's got, you know, a beard down, you know, he looks like, you know, Rumpelstiltskin and, you know, people, oh, it's so great the band's together and you look at them and you go, wow, this is proof that... um we're all going to die. Anyway, so here's the deal. You've got the guys who were the rock stars, you know, five, six, seven years ago, and they're, they've all hit middle age, and they're not young little rock star bucks anymore. Yeah, so they're just not as, well, you know, cutting edge as they were. And, and that's the thing. You tie yourself to relevance. You always are chasing something. It's like... Chasing your tail. You never do quite catch it, do you? Yeah, and uh, Tim, the church has never had to chase its tail. For 2,000 years, the church grew without tying itself to the culture like this. It's like an author who wrote four books in a row, and the last book came out in May of 2008, and he hasn't written one since, and he's not working on one now, so please stop asking. (laughs) Because we're only as good as our latest book, right? Or our latest message, or the latest song that we wrote. doesn't matter what happened last year because we, we get tired of the consuming uh, that, that drives the performing, and we want to say attractional, schmactional. And in our churches, we hear that we're supposed to not just copy the culture, try to keep up with the culture. We're actually supposed to create the culture, and we're actually supposed to offer things in our attractional model that hasn't ever been done before or seen or even thought of because sometimes it, it wears us out because we're just not that creative. And we got Sunday, it's coming. So we got to come up with something. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And we want to say attractional, schmactional. And sometimes we get tired of catering towards the seekers, really. I mean, you, sometimes we wonder if they'll ever be pleased. If we do stuff to attract their attention, we do stuff to speak in their language, to meet their needs, to make them feel great as guests. And many of them just suck from the mother church and they don't lift a hand to help and they don't give a penny for the cause, and sometimes you just want to say, I'm done with that, attractional, schmactional. Now, back in, back in Acts chapter 2, did they do an attractional thing? No. Peter preached the word. God regenerated a group of them. 
brought them to repentance and the forgiveness of sins and gave them an appetite for the things of God. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers. This is what they were devoted to. Why? Because they were raised from the dead. So in the attractional model, you got an entire group, an entire church full of consumers and fickle people. And and what is Tim Stevens complaining about? They don't really contribute. They don't tie. They don't. Yeah, that's because they're not Christians. They're, you're trying to make the church relevant for them. And what they need is for them, they, they need to be regenerated. And then they'll have an appetite, an appetite for the things of God. This is quite a confession. So which is it? Is it do everything you can to build relationships, start spiritual conversations, hoping to lead people, lead towards a chance when you can invite them to a service where they'll hear how much they matter to God? Or is it be the love of Jesus? Where they'll hear how much they matter to God. How about none of the above? He's going to give this either or. How about none of the above? How about the pagans need to hear about their sinfulness and their need of a Savior in Jesus Christ and what he's done for them on the cross and be called to repent of their sins and be forgiven and let God the Holy Spirit raise them from the dead? And then they'll have this this appetite for the things of God, and then you gather together as a church with a pastor who's shepherding the flock and feeding them on God's word. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How about that one? You can't, we can't go back to that. Yeah, that's the one the Bible, yeah. Jesus, right where people live, in the areas uh, you know best, where God has given you influence, and be the church with no expectation that they will ever come to the box for church, but that you will do and be the church uh, right with them, right there where they live. Well, to help answer that question or explore it at least a little bit more, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my journey. Uh, I came to GCC uh, 17 years ago because it was missional. I didn't know that word at the time, uh, but I came because uh, I had been in a parachurch organization and been to about a thousand different churches. But when I came to Granger, I saw things I had never seen in a church anywhere, never even heard of in a church anywhere, where the Christians uh, here were outward focused, where it was common to be introduced to someone who had just met Jesus and was excited about their faith, where there were people attending every week who were not yet convinced, who were just checking things out, and that was okay, and they were treated with grace and with love, and they were given the space to explore. And so the church uh, was up and to the right for years. In fact, for 20 years, we always had more people in attendance than we did the year before. Most of the times it was double digit increase. And yeah, there was a back door, there were people leaving, but the front door was wider because we kept growing and growing year after year. Until four years ago, we stopped growing and it nearly killed us. No one on our team is wired for maintenance. I mean, we all see the vision of reaching more and more of our community for Christ. And the fact that it didn't seem to be working anymore nearly undid us. I personally determined, you know what, as executive pastor, if I can't figure this out, someone else has got to be here in my position to figure this out. Because- okay, I want to point something out here. Apparently the attractional thing isn't the magic bullet that these uh, seeker-driven attractional guys have made it out to be. Because even Granger, well, the growth didn't continue. Hmm. We are wired for growth. 
We sat through agonizing meetings trying to figure out the problem. We prayed, we cried, we argued, we blamed ourselves, we blamed the economy, we blamed the weather sometimes. Uh, We blamed uh, our people and their lack of evangelistic fervor. We blamed our location. We blamed our programming. Uh, We blamed our relational deficiencies and trying to work through that. Sometimes we blamed each other. And then we just started changing stuff. So, and you didn't change your assumptions, your primary premises. We changed staff, and we changed service times, and we uh, changed. We added a multi-site location. We took surveys. We canceled some programs. We added some programs. Uh, we made services longer. Then we made services shorter. We tried using more pop culture. Then we tried using less pop culture. Uh, we made services more experiential. We tried offering felt need topics more. Uh, We tried going deeper more often. At the same time, uh, early 2008 or so. Did all of that work? So a couple years ago, I finished up writing Pop Goes the Church. And the subtitle of that book uh, really could have been Making Your Attractional Services More Missional. And the book I wrote, uh, it's not that people aren't pursuing their faith. There's a growing percentage of people of faith in our communities who love God the best they know how. They just see church as completely irrelevant. Okay, now, listen to that statement. It's not that people aren't pursuing their faith. There is a growing percentage of people of faith in our communities who love God the best they know how. They just see the church as completely irrelevant. Um, If somebody isn't a Christian... They see the church as irrelevant because they do not have an appetite for the Word of God, the koinonia fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers because they are dead in trespasses and sins. The problem isn't the church. The problem is that they are an unbeliever. And saying that they're pursuing their faith the best that they know how is ridiculous. They're still dead in trespasses and sins, and they need to be regenerated. You know, born again. It does not even cross their minds to go to a church service to figure out the next spiritual step they should take. We were already starting to figure this out a little bit. There's a survey that came out about... Yeah, listen to this, okay? Let me read the rest of the quote. Let me put it back in context. Here's the quote. From Pop Goes the Church, written by... Uh, Tim Stevens here. It's not that people aren't pursuing their faith. There is a growing percentage of people of faith. If they were of the Christian faith, they'd have a desire for the things of God. Um, People of faith in our communities who love God the best they know how. That's law, not gospel. They see the church as completely irrelevant. It does not even cross their minds to go to a church service to figure out the next spiritual step they should take. Is the problem with unbelievers that they they just need advice on what their next spiritual step is going to be? You see, what's wrong here? They have a completely faulty and unbiblical view of premises. It's their faulty worldview. It's their faulty premise. It's their faulty theology here that's causing them to not see what the real problem is. And we just heard a confession from Tim here that apparently experiential, missional, uh, felt needs, things don't automatically equal growth. 
even though that has been touted for years by these guys, these innovators who've come in with their vision-casting ideas, all of these ideas have been thrown out there as, as this is the solution to show the world that we care about them so that they would come to our church so that they would find out what their next spiritual steps ought to be. Ultimately, this is bad theology. At the same time, uh, conducted by LifeWay Research, and the results were in USA Today, and it said a growing number of Americans are recognizing a need to develop their inner life, but many don't know where to begin, especially if they don't consider themselves religious. Even if they are religious, many haven't found everything they're seeking in weekly services. And that- Okay, listen, listen again. Where are we going here? Um, we're going to a survey conducted of pagans by USA Today. Uh, you can let me translate this for you. It says a growing number of Americans are recognizing a need to develop their inner life. That does not translate into Christianity. Let me translate it. <clears throat> a growing number of pagan unbelievers are recognizing the need to have something spiritual in their life. Whoop de doo. That doesn't mean that they're yearning for Jesus Christ, that they're yearning for the preaching of the cross and the crucified and risen Savior. Article went on to say uh, that 86% of the people that they surveyed, people that don't currently go to church, uh, feel like they have a good relationship with God without belonging to a church. And, you know, I've used that quote uh, scores of times in different talks uh, since then, but I don't think the impact of that. If you, if, if, so we got a whole group of people out there in the world who think that they have a good relationship with God without the church. So what? They're deceived. We continue. And that article went on to say uh, that 86% of the people that they surveyed, people that don't currently go to church, uh, feel like they have a good relationship with God without belonging to a church. Yeah, I had to play that again. 86% of the people they interview, people who don't go to church, say they have a good relationship with God even though they don't go to church. Do they? Not at all. And, you know, I've used that quote uh, scores of times in different talks uh, since then, but I don't think the impact of that and its uh, relevance here at Granger, Indiana, hit me until about January of this year. And that's when a fundamental shift took place in my thinking. It's the first time I really considered the impact, what Alan talked about yesterday, of the shrinking 40%. When I first heard Alan talk about that, it just... Okay, if you don't know what the shrinking 40% is, we're talking about what Alan Hirsch teaches. He's a missiologist. We've played some of his stuff before about sneezing movements. I'm not making that up. And uh, they, he's got a uh, here. Uh, Tim has a graphic up that looks like Pac-Man. You know, you look at a pie chart, and the the, the Pac-Man is 60 percent and growing of people who will never come to the box, and 40 percent might come to the box. And and we've listened to Alan Hirsch talk about this, basically saying that uh, 60 percent of the people that we're trying to reach will never can never be reached by the way we're doing evangelism. Again, what's the fundamental flaw here in the thinking? 100% of the people, you could just draw a circle and forget the little Pac-Man symbol, 100% of the people out there who are pagans will never find 
a devotion to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers to be relevant ever. You're never going to be able to survey them and go, you know what I really need is that. And here's the deal. 100% of the people whom Christ raises from the dead and regenerates, he will give them an appetite for his word, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Yeah, this is the way, what I've just said is the way the church has understood this and has operated for 2,000 years. That's why it's grown for 2,000 years, you know? resonated with me, and I thought, this is exactly right, and this has profound implications for us as a church. We heard all that yesterday from Alan. I want to talk through a little bit about my take on it as it gripped me last January. Alan says that the way we do church is working for fewer and fewer people all the time. And what does that mean, the way we do church It means the model of Christendom that we've been following for 1,700 years that most of us are a product of is becoming quickly ineffective in today's world. And by the way we do church, I'm not talking style of worship or high church or low church or or independent or denominational, uh, contemporary, traditional, Protestant, Catholic. All of those churches combined, pretty much every church in America uh, could be described, categorized uh, with three words, come to us. You think about just about every church in your community is probably described, come to us. We put on amazing services. We do everything. Yeah, again, I deny the premise. No, I don't agree at all. The fundamental idea behind a church is come to us. The church is operated with the understanding that you go and you proclaim repentance and the, uh, repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and God regenerates people and gives them an appetite for the things of God, and then they they have to come to church because that's the only place in the world they can feed on the holy things that God has for us to feast on. Everything we can to communicate truth to the people who make the effort to come to the box for worship. And many times, even our ministries of mercy and justice that happen outside the walls of the church are really disguised front porches to get people to come to the box. And this, this works for people that are, uh, this works for, they're part of the shrinking 40%. These are people for whom the come to us model works. So we put on great weekend services and 40% of our community would still probably be open to that style of ministry. At least they're not repelled by it. They'd potentially be open to an invitation. Okay, now this is a huge confession here. Let me interpret this data for you. If Alan Hirsch's numbers are right, that it's 60% and growing in the culture of people who would never come to a church, that means that the attractional model by nature is a failure. That, yeah, it, it's, seriously, think about it. Think about it. It's fundamentally flawed. Six in ten people who receive a marketing piece saying, come to our church, would automatically say, nope. And so it doesn't matter if you put on your marketing piece, we have a rockin' band. We've got a killer youth group. We've got child care and an espresso bar. Six out of 10 people who get that message automatically will say, nope, not interested. And that number is growing. Now, whether the correct number is 40% or not, I don't know. Maybe it's 45, maybe it's 50. Whatever the number is, 
uh, pretty much everyone I've talked to agrees wherever you land, the number is shrinking. It's getting smaller as time goes on. Then there's this growing 60%. These are the people that believe in God, whatever that means for them. They have a respect for Jesus. They're on a spiritual journey. They don't consider the church, as we know it, as a resource to help them take steps. They Listen to the way he describes it. Oh, but they believe in God. Really, which one? You know, when Paul preached in Athens on Mars Hill, he said to the Athenians, Oh, I see that you are religious in many ways. In fact, I even found a... Uh, uh, and uh, uh, you know uh, this statue here to the unknown deity, but le- the what thing you don't know, let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus, and he died and rose again for your sins. Tim speaks about you know uh, oh well see the, uh, all these people you know they believe in God. See they're they're open to these things. No. They're dead in trespasses and sins, and the false deity that they believe in is an idol. We need to think of these, we need to think about this in biblical terms. They're not almost Christians, they're full on dead in trespasses and sins pagans. The way Tim is describing them here is oh, they're just one, one, uh, spiritual step away from 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 following Jesus they're almost there and it's likely they may never they'll pursue their spirituality through culture and through friendships and through music and TV and personalities and their own study of the bible self-help books oprah whatever's out there uh, there was a study this year by the pew forum that says that young adults today are less church connected than prior generations were in their 20s. Yet, they're just about as spiritual as their parents and their grandparents were. Is this supposed to be good news? Oh, well, they're not likely to be at church, but they're spiritual. Oh, that makes it okay. (laughs) See, they're almost Christian because they're spiritual. Those ages. Even a newer study just a few months ago uh, said, if current trends continue, the millennial generation will see churches closing as quickly as GM dealerships. We wondered if that was true in our region of the country. So uh, early this summer, we sent a team out and just to do some interview and ask these questions. Okay, now listen. Listen to the, the they're asking pagans. Okay, see if all this is true. Are, are we finding people who are really spiritual that believe in God but just aren't coming to church, to going to the box to make the next spiritual steps? That's not how you become a Christian. I believe God. You see everything around you. I, I say, I say, I, I believe about Jesus too, because that's that's God's son, I guess. How do I feel about the church? So he believes in God, and he kind of sort of, you know, God, I guess Jesus is God's son. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hip with that. He's not a Christian. He's a pagan. Uh, questionable. Could be a lot better. Church. Don't go. Uh, the first word that comes to my, my mind is terrified. Church. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is corruption. I mean, what do you expect to find if you go and interview people who are pagans, what they think about church? What are they going to say? Oh, yeah. Church. Oh, man. 
That's where they preach about our crucified and risen Lord who calls us to repent of our sins and be forgiven in Jesus' name. It's the only place where I can learn truly the words of the one true God. Is that what you were going to expect from pagans? This proves nothing. I don't know. Usually not so great things. Jesus. Um, Savior? I don't know. Sacrifice? He's a good dude. (laughs) He does good stuff, man. He's a good example for everybody. Was that guy almost a Christian? No, he's he's dead in trespasses and sins. Think of when you say God, our Maker. You have to go to Jesus Christ before you go to God. Got me on what the church is about. I I don't have a problem with God and Jesus. Like that's cool, but you know I just have like a like a problem with church and like man's corrupted interpretation of like you know of like yeah. yeah see, that's the thing. I. I have this idea about Jesus, and my ideas about Jesus are right, but the churches, they're completely corrupt in their thinking of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you expect somebody who's dead in trespasses and sins to have a different opinion than this? Yeah, because it's the church. They're the ones telling people that, you know, people go to hell. Jesus didn't teach that way, man. At least not the Jesus that I believe in. I'm like, what it is. But God and Jesus are all right in my book, though. So here's where this has led uh, for me. This has turned from a a nice little theory to just a profound conviction uh, that it is absolutely right that in our culture, in our community, in Granger, Indiana, 40% or less of our culture is open to the way we do church. No, you need to look at this as 100% of the pagans out there are dead in trespasses and sins and need to hear about what Christ did for them on the cross and be called to repent and be forgiven in Jesus' name and that God the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and unbelief and grant them repentance and the forgiveness of sins and faith in Jesus for their salvation, that they'll be regenerated and then have an appetite for the things of God. You see what's going on here? I've been here 24 years uh, doing ministry. We've seen thousands, probably tens of thousands of people come to Jesus, get baptized, change their life. And yet, we look at each other and we say, do we think the sheer number of unchurched people in our area is any less than it was 24 years ago? Probably not. I mean, the reports indicate this. I don't remember how long ago. It's probably 15 years ago. I saw a report that said uh, 15% of the people in our, in our county, the county that we're in, say, we don't go to church. Now, Barnett has shown that pretty much any time people say that, you can just cut it in half for what's actually reality. But as far as what people say, it was 50%. I heard about a report just this last week that said in same, the same county, 60% don't go to church. Yet here's a church of 5,000 people that did not even exist 24 years ago, and yet we, we're not even making a dent on the decline of the church, the impact in our community. Now, it seemed like once I realized this and believed it, it felt to me like there was only two choices. One, continue to pour my life and our dollars and resources, the largest share of our ministry focus into reaching the 40%, right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. Um, for us, the stats would show that there's 36,286 people in that number within five miles of this building who are in the 40% who don't go to church. You add in our Elkhart campus, we have about 62,000 people within five miles of one of our two boxes and who very well might be open to exploring their spirituality with us in a service. 
exploring their spirituality with us. Is that what the church is called to do? To call pagans to explore their spirituality with the church? What's the fundamental flaw here? He doesn't get the fact that the Bible says that sinners are dead in trespasses and sins and that God has to raise them from the dead and regenerate them through the preaching of the gospel. So that's an option, something we could do. Seemed like the other option was leave this all behind. Leave the institutional church. Forget the attraction. It's reaching a smaller and smaller percentage every year, so why spend any more time there at all? Go to the masses. If the 60-40 thing is true, then there's... 93,000 people within five miles of one of our two boxes. Translation, by the way, those of you uh, out there who know those uh, seeker-driven attractional churches, they're, they, if they haven't hit the wall already and started their decline, it's coming. Who don't go to church, who likely will never go to church as we know it, but they still need to know how much they matter to God. So it seemed like that was the other choice. And it felt to me at the time like it had to be one choice or the other because I'd never heard of a church doing both. Where in the scripture does it say go and preach to the world just how much they matter to God? I hadn't heard uh, Matt's story or Dave's story from yesterday. But guys, this isn't the or conference. This is the and conference. And it's hard. And we have to lean into the end, even if it means that we're blazing new trails and there's not a lot of stories out there yet. And we have to figure something out that naysayers on both sides are telling us isn't possible. We have to lean into the end, even if it means we're going to try a bunch of stuff and we're going to look silly for doing it because it's not going to work. Why don't you do the thing that actually we know will work? Preach the gospel. Preach repentance in the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and call sinners to repent and be forgiven. And let God, the Holy Spirit, convict them of sin and unbelief and regenerate them so that they be born again and then have a hunger for the things of God and then have pastors actually feed them the things of God. Because in the attractional model, you know, always trying to keep those uh, ever so fickle and relevant focused um, pagans happy, according to Tim Stevens, is just really difficult to do. Attractional, smactional, you know. Yet that's not what the church is called to do. Why don't you just chuck all this stuff because it's built on a faulty set of premises and get back to what the Scripture calls us to and what Jesus told us to do in Luke 24. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. That would include 21st century United States America in northern Indiana. All of it. We still have to lean into the and. So I'm going to spend the last few minutes here before Jason comes up and just get real practical and talk about what does that shift look like here at Granger. If you've uh, followed my blog at all or any of our blogs really in recent months, uh, you've heard us say this conference isn't about providing a bunch of answers. And uh, that may be frustrating for some of you, but we have more questions then we do answers, because we're right in the middle of this. But here's Yeah, they still haven't figured out what to do yet. You know, Tim, go back to what the Scriptures say. Your premises are theologically flawed. What we know. Three things that we, we can tell you for sure. Uh, there are things that we can do to specifically reach the 60%. And Rob talked about a bunch of those yesterday, and we're right on the front end of that, and there's so much... Uh, less we know about that than churches like Austin Stone and Community Christian. They're figuring that out. They're a little bit ahead of us on that. We're going to figure that out, and we're going to keep uh, pressing into that. We also know 
that we must reach more of the 40%. We know we're not giving up on the box. We're just not. We know there are 62,000 people who might be open to coming to the box. And so we're doing everything we can to make weekend services even more attractive. Uh, We currently have weekly services happening here in Granger. We have them happening in Elkhart. We have them happening uh, downtown South Bend in our community center and in a prison facility, a a reentry facility in town. And we plan to launch three additional locations in surrounding communities in the next five years. And we're gonna continue to offer innovative, authentic art and Bible-grounded messages to help them know how much they matter to God. Bible-grounded is not the same as expository Bible preaching. Yeah, Bible-grounded means we're going to strip-mine it for practical things to help make your life better, to show you how much we care about you. La, 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 what we hear over and again here at Fighting for the Faith in our sermon reviews. I actually believe, as a side note here, I actually believe that the attractional, come-to-the-box model of church really might be the most missional type of ministry that you can do in American suburbia. Uh, for people who like their privacy, for people who tend to involve themselves more in spectator activities than in... Listen to this laundry list. For people who like their privacy, come to church and we, don't, we won't even know who you are. You can come anonymously and stay anonymous. Is that what Scripture calls us to do? Is that what koinonia is? Is that what fellowship, Christian fellowship is? To anonymously show up at a large church and keep your privacy? Again, go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, the new Christians, the ones who were just regenerated and born again through the preaching of the word and the gospel by the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So you're going to basically say, hey, you know, come and explore your next spiritual steps with us in our, in our box. And if you like your privacy, don't, no worries. You can maintain your anonymity here. Is that Christian fellowship? Let's continue. In participative activities, uh, for people who are used to good coffee and great video and who identify with the teacher-student model of learning, people who plan their entire lives around the safety and security and happiness of their kids. You know, Hirsch says uh, you don't plant churches, you plant the gospel, and you let the church grow out of that. I believe if you walked into suburbia uh, today, middle-class American, white-collar suburbia today, to start a missional community, you might very well end up with a come-to-the-box model of ministry. Plant a missional community. We're not called to do that. We're called to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and those whom God calls and regenerates. We then bring them into our fellowship, and uh, and because they have new appetites, they are then we we feed them the apostles' teaching in copious amounts so that they're devoted to it. Break bread and pray with them in fellowship. That's uh, you see, again what's happened here. These guys are trying to build on their flawed theological premises. And you know what? Tim Stevens has made it perfectly clear. All of their assumptions have proven to be non-sustainable. All of these ideas they've come up with just ain't cutting the mustard anymore. Are they going to go back and repent and go back and say, you know what? 
the church has been doing it right all along. This experiment has completely failed. No, he made it clear. We've got to rem- we've got to realize that the way the church has been doing its business for the last 1,700 years just ain't cutting it. No, this ain't cutting it, and your own stats prove it. And by the way, it's God the Holy Spirit who makes Christians. And God the Holy Spirit, he always cuts the mustard. So those are two things. And there are also things that we can do, that we must do, to help the 40%, the people that have been attracted to the box, help them reach their 60%, their friends, their family that are never going to come to the box because they know that because they've tried. So I want to talk through how uh, we're looking at that and some things that we're thinking about, uh, thinking differently about going into the future. In the past, we have said, get the community into the church. Now looking into the future, we're saying, get the church into the community. Rob talked about that yesterday. So it's still coming. Get the church into the community. Hmm, it sounds like go and make disciples. Hmm. Come and see. We're still all about that, like I mentioned, but more emphasis on the so that. Come and see so that you can make a difference. And this has been a transition. Is that, is that the call of the gospel? Come and see so that you can make a difference. No, this is theologically way off base. That started a few years back increases every year with intensity. We're also looking at in the past, church defined largely by the weekend service. Now we're thinking differently. Church defined by where you are. As people, uh, in the past, church defined by the weekend service. <clears throat> Let me see if I can quote a particular commandment from the Ten Commandments. Are you ready? Here we go. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Hmm. Can you think of any biblical reason why? Hmm. Weekend services. Hmm. What occurred on the Sabbath day? Well, people rested from their work, right? Yeah. And then they showed up in the synagogue. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what did they do in the synagogue? Well, they heard the word of God and they feasted on the Right. So in the past... You think there's a biblical reason why the church met on the weekend? Now, in the Old Testament, it was on Saturday, the Sabbath, the seventh day. And then the church moved it to the, to the first day, Sunday. So, Because why? That was the day when Jesus was raised from the dead, the beginning of a new creation. And so what happened? It got moved over a day from the seventh day to the first And what did people do on Sunday? They didn't work, right? They rested from their labors, correct? And they went to church to hear the word of God, right? Um, Since God's really the one who created that whole weekend model thing, how do you think that you're going to be able to improve upon it? come to the box. One of our biggest jobs is to equip them to be effective ministers outside the box. Yesterday, Matt talked about it as releasing people. Essentially, help them to learn to be the church wherever they are. Also, we're looking at this as, in the past, a primarily centralized, top-down, hierarchical structure. In the future, we're looking, now we're going to infuse a decentralized, organic structure into this. Okay, um, question, where is this decentralized, organic structure for leadership taught in the Bible? It's not. 
So now your methodologies, Tim, aren't working. The stuff you've written books about, well, that's all failing now by your own admission. And so what you're going to do is you're going to add new methodologies on top of your failed methodologies rather than doing what the Scripture tells you to do. Let me go uh, Titus chapter um, 1. If you have your Bible, flip on over there. Titus chapter 1. This is one of the pastoral epistles. Paul writing to Titus. I left you in in Crete. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 5. I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination for an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of the good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the uh, circumcision party. And it goes on and on and on. Does the Bible teach that the church is to have to infuse a decentralized organic structure? No. These guys are absolutely now flying in the face of clear biblical teaching. Did Jesus create a decentralized organic structure in the church? No. He spent three years training 12 guys. One of them betrayed him. So at the end, there were 11, and then they brought Matthias in. And what happened? That Jesus built the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There was a hierarchy in place. And when there, was a dis- when there were disputes in the church doctrinally, guess who got to decide? It was the apostles, not the decentralized organic structure. We continue. That allows the church, not the box, but the church at large, to grow quickly without requiring a bunch of hoops to jump through. In the past, it's been primary stats have been... Allows the church to grow without any church uh, hoops to jump. The church doesn't grow if God doesn't regenerate people through the preaching of the gospel. Just because you have people showing up doesn't mean that the church is growing. Catholic, small c, church. The church only grows when people are regenerated through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word. Attendance and giving, that's kind of what we looked at. Uh, It it seemed to measure people's interest in spiritual things, and it measured their heart with their giving. In the future, we're looking, we'll also begin tracking community impact and loving others. We don't stop tracking attendance and giving. Those are two important components. So now they're coming up with new metrics to measure success in the church. Because, well, if you just count noses, that won't do it anymore. You guys all know, you can go to the box every single weekend. You can give 20% of your money to the ministry of the box and still not be doing what Jesus says clearly is one of the most important things we can do in loving others. And that's so hard to measure, but we have to figure out better ways to track and celebrate 
people making a difference where they are. Where, um, where do you see examples of all of these metrics in place? Yeah. Uh-huh. Community impact metrics. Where were those recorded for us in the scriptures? In the past, we have uh, been intent on no designated giving. You just give your tithes and offerings. We'll figure out how to disperse it. Uh, in the future, we're looking for lots of ways that people can give to their passion. I think the days of everyone giving to the mother church and trusting the corporate structure and the leadership to invest it are over. In our culture, most people have a skepticism for anything that is corporate or organized. And there's a fair bit of that skepticism that's based on reality. And I think in today's culture, people wanna see the impact of their giving. Mark calls it line of sight giving, where you can see your money going in and you can see it coming out on the other end and seeing the impact that it's making. And so we're gonna uh, look for new ways to allow people to give to areas where they're passionate, where they can see the impact of their gift. In the past, uh, people have come to the church building to do their ministry. Now we're looking forward. Ministry's not confined to a building. It happens wherever you are. This has been a transition for us that's been happening uh, for years. Uh, We used to equip people to do ministry here, way back, helping people meet God in this space. We do that now still, and we're gonna keep doing that. That's so important. Then a few years ago, we transitioned to let's equip people to do ministry outside the walls with partnership ministries and areas where we're working as a church corporately. And we're gonna keep doing that because that's so important. The shift now is taking another step and equipping people to do ministry where they are, in their homes, in their workplace, in in their schools, wherever they are, their neighborhoods, anywhere they have influence. We need to do a better job. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Small group leaders, basically people who are not qualified to be pastors who are shepherding people? Is that what you mean? How are you defining ministry here? How is that term defined? figure out a better way to equip them where they are. In the past, buildings have been here to serve the church, and the community's been invited to join. Now we're heading towards buildings serving the community, and oh, by the way, the congregation also meets there. I think it's not good enough uh, to ask, how do we equip our people to be missional wherever they are? I think we have to make that shift right where we are as well, corporately, This 55-acre campus, this 105,000-square-foot facility that's known as Granger Community Church, you ask pretty much anyone in the community, they know this place is Granger Community Church. Well, what if in the future it was no longer known as Granger Community Church? Go with me on this for a minute. What if, let's pretend like this place, this campus, was called Harbor Ridge. I just made up that name last night. It means nothing. It's just a pretend name, so... Don't hang your You're right. It means nothing. Your head on that, but it helps us for this conversation. What if the entire church knew that Harbor Ridge was the place that you went for hope and healing? You want groceries, you go to Martin's or you go to Walmart or Meyer. You want a mall, you go to University Park. It's the only one we have. You want a 24-hour clinic, you may go to Main Street Medical. What if in So Harbor Ridge is basically um, a, a district office for the social gospel the same way people thought of Harbor Ridge as the place that they go for hope and healing, the moments of their greatest need. need So, I mean, in the future, as you guys continue to liberalize your theology, will Harbor Ridge be a place where teenagers can come and get free condoms? Help with your marriage. Well, guess what? There's classes, there's counseling available at Harbor Ridge, led by followers of Jesus. You need help figuring out how to be a great parent. There's coaching available at Harbor Ridge. 
It's based on scripture. You ask, well, why not just do those things at the church? Why not just say those things are available at the church? Because yeah, well, pause there for a second. Okay, let's say that you're a pagan. You're an unbeliever. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You don't believe he died on the cross for your sins. You don't trust in him for nothing. But you, you know, you're having a problem in your marriage, and you decide to go to Harbor Ridge because they advertise that their marriage uh, therapy program is based on Scripture. And you know, you're, you're thinking you need some spiritual things here. So what do you do? You go to Harbor Ridge, and you and your spouse, you go through their their scriptural marriage therapy, and things get better for you, and then you die, and you go to hell. Because even people who've applied scriptural biblical principles to their marriage but don't trust in Christ still go to hell. 60% of our community has a mental block against anything that is from the church. They don't think of the church as a place to go for hope and healing. They, when they... Listen, to, there it is again. Uh, Tim, the reason they don't think of the church for anything is because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are not regenerate, and they do not have an appetite for the things of God. They are in rebellion against God. They are of their father, the devil. Think of church. They think they have a mental block of whatever it was, whatever their experience was, and it wasn't good, and they're not going back. But if it's at Harbor Ridge, you need help with your kids because you both work. Great. Bring them to the preschool or the daycare that's available at Harbor Ridge. Your finances are a mess. Monday nights, Financial Peace University happens every week at Harbor Ridge. You're struggling with addictions, with uh, recovery from the loss of a child. The first thought uh, of anyone in the community would be, I bet Harbor Ridge has something that can help you. What about the place you think of at the biggest moments of transition or crisis in your life? Wedding. This is like the social gospel for middle-class Americans. This is what this sounds like to me. Or funerals. You would think the chapel at Harbor Ridge. And every function, every event, every interaction with every guest is filled with faith and love and a spiritual intentionality to help them take their next step. People who come to help them take their next step. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They can't take any spiritual steps. Harbor Ridge, for anything, walk away having been touched by the love and grace of a Jesus follower. Oh, and where does Granger Community Church meet? meets, at least in Granger, at Harbor Ridge. Now, I realize this is all uh, scary stuff. This is new territory. And I've raised more questions than I could possibly answer. And you may think... And you haven't based any of this on a single passage of Scripture. Don't you think that's problematic? I've just scratched the surface, uh, but you'd be confused if you think there's very much deep... By the way, that's what we call vision casting. He was casting vision there. No Bible necessary for that. Further than that, because we're still figuring it all out as we go. We're making stuff up, and we're trying to get into this. But we have, this week, in this room, we have about 200 or so amazing leaders from Granger Community Church. I know they're amazing because they took time off work to be here. And they want to help us figure this out. And sometimes they'll say, I like the box. I like the come-to-us model. It's the reason I'm in the church. It's why I came back to Jesus, because of this model. And that's why we're still going to do it. And those same people will say, but I have a friend who for six years or 10 years or three months, I've been trying to get to come with me and there's not a chance. And they know it's because of their friend that we're gonna try to reach them as well. That's right. I'm sure if you offer free condoms at uh, Harbor Ridge, they'll show up. They know that we're never gonna reach their friend if we keep doing only what we're doing. 
But guys, this is going to... Again, there's that fundamental flaw again. You're not reaching them with the gospel, then you're not reaching them. Man, this is really, really skewed. Get messy. This is going to get messy. I believe we have days of ambiguity ahead of us. I believe if... Days of amb- what? What's wrong with the biblical model? You're wired such that everything has to be neat and tidy and in a box and all wrapped up. This no, it needs to be biblical because I can't second-guess God because I think God knows what he's doing. Don't you? This is going to drive you crazy. Tension is the new order of the day. And I think you have to be open to living in the tension and not knowing all the answers. Where does it say that in the Bible? I don't think there's going to be any books come out on the other side of this of 99 simply strategic ways to merge attractional and missional ministry together. I don't think a model is going to emerge that's going to be able to be plugged in uh, at thousands of churches across the country. I think we'll figure out what happens and what works in Granger. We'll tell you about it. And you'll figure out what happens. Just embrace the tension and the ambiguity, man. Forget what the Bible says to do. You know, you would forget about that elders and shepherds and, you know, leaders. And no, no, you, you just need a, a non-central organic thing to happen because that's what happens at Harbor Ridge. In your community, and you'll tell us about it. And it'll look probably entirely different. So you may have come uh, to this conference thinking missional schmissional. Or you may have come thinking, I'm done with the come to the box thing. And I think I'm thinking I'm done with all of you guys trying to rethink something that God has so clearly taught. What's wrong with the model that Jesus put in place and that the apostles taught? Hmm? More attractional, schmactional. But my hope is uh, we all walk away realizing this is about people, it's about reaching the people not just the people that are way out there, far, far away. Reaching them with what? The people that are right in our communities. Consider what Paul said in Corinthians. This comes from the TAS version, uh, which coincidentally happens to be my initials. He says, uh, for though I was free from all men, I brought myself under bondage to all that I might gain the more. To the- yeah, this has nothing to do with the church because the same guy who wrote this also said to appoint elders and make sure they teach sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. You're misapplying this passage. Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain Jews. To those who are part of the 40%, I did everything I could to attract, teach, equip, and release them. And to those who are part that's not what the text says. Part of the 60%, I went to them, I lived among them, I planted the gospel there. To the weak, I became weak that I might gain the weak. I became all things to all men that I may by all means. This is, this is a passage about evangelism, not how the church operates. Save some. Let me pray for us. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're not going to get to uh, Jason Miller. I know. I, I think this just about says it all, don't you? A complete and utter lack of confidence in what God has revealed regarding how people become Christians, how the church is to operate, and how it's to be organized. And all of this is based upon a faulty premise. And the faulty premise ultimately boils down to well, the Pelagian heresy. A denial 
that man is dead in trespasses and sins. And a misbelief that people come to Christ by making next steps in their spiritual journeys. It's not what the scriptures teach at all. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can support us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and uh, when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to contact me, is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>